Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're continuing to look at why October 7th, 2015 will likely be the end of the world. And this is study number four in this series. Now, so far, we've seen that God locked in the date of May 21, 2011 as the beginning of Judgment Day. We've also seen how perfectly 10,000 overall days of judgment fits the idea of God completing his judgment program. And... We've discussed the tremendous significance of 1,600 days, breaking down to 40 times 40. In our last study, we saw how God uses the number 40 to uh, describe a period of judgment uh, and, and also severe testing as he speaks of the 40-year wilderness sojourn as the day of temptation in the wilderness and a time in which he swore in his wrath that none of those men that had murmured against him and given the evil report uh, and and those that followed their evil report would enter into his rest. And so he had them wander 40 years in the wilderness until the whole generation died out. And that uh, was a demonstration of God's wrath. It was a judgment upon them, as well as uh, an extremely trying time. It it was a a huge test for Israel. One other point about 10,000 days and the number 40, since we were looking at the number 40 last time, in 10,000 days, that number breaks down to 250 times 40. If you take 250 times 40, you get 10,000. And and so it would uh, actually break down this way. 250 can be broken down to 5 times 5 times 10 times 40 equals 10,000. And... Uh, what's the significance of that? Well, we we see five, which is the number of the atonement, and the atonement identifies with grace and judgment. God applies the atonement to those he saves, the atoning work of Christ, and to those he does not save, he does not apply it. And, and therefore, the five times five times ten is emphasizing that God will apply the atonement, the the completeness of the atonement, to all those he intends to save. And likewise, he will bypass those that uh, he is not going to save. And and so, uh, in other words, God will complete his grace and his judgment at 10,000 days. And and included in that number 10,000 is 40. 
And that tells us that throughout the entire judgment period, and judgment began at the house of God on May 21, 1988, for 23 years, 8,400 days, and then transition to the judgment on the world for a likely period of 1,600 days, and then the 1,600 days elapses on October 7th, 2015, that that day will be the 10,000th day, that in this uh, complete period of time, God has been testing all throughout. And, and so um, it, it's a very significant number um, also when broken down this way, 5 times 5 times 10 times 40. Okay, well today... We're going to look at the significance of October 7th itself. That day itself and, and why that particular day is so significant. We know it's the 10,000th day. Yes. We, um, since judgment began at the house of God. And we also know it's the 1600th day since May 21, 2011. And, and both of those are very significant and interesting, but is there, is there another reason why October 7th, 2015 is the likely end of the world? And the answer is yes. There, there is some very excellent additional reasons why October 7th, 2015 will likely be the end of the world. Now, First, let's turn to Revelation 14. We're going to read a verse earlier in the chapter and then uh, a passage. In Revelation 14, beginning in verse 8, it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So God, uh, he, he says Babylon has fallen, and then in the following verses he'll speak of the cup of the wrath of God that he is giving to the unsaved people of the earth. And then down in verse 14, I'm going to read 14 through the end of the chapter. We read of the language of harvest, and, and please pay attention to the strong emphasis that God is placing on harvest in the context of the end of the world, in the context of Judgment Day. Beginning in verse 14, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, 
which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And there we get the sixteen hundred furlongs that we have learned uh, represents sixteen hundred days. But in in these verses, from verses 14 through 20, God is using the language of harvest. Uh, he, he mentions sickle and thrusting in the sickle and reaping, for the time has come for thee to reap and harvest, and he uses the word ripe and, and, and so forth. It is, um, completely involved with harvest. And how does that relate to October 7th, 2015? Well, first of all, let's look to the Bible to see what God identifies harvest with. And there's a very defining statement in Matthew chapter 13. God often does this kind of thing. He may speak of a subject in numerous places, and then in one verse, God will give a biblical definition, which helps us in all the other places where uh, he doesn't give that particular definition. No, he expects us to search all the Bible, comparing scripture with scripture, looking up that particular word, and carefully reading each passage, and then oh, he'll give it in one place, perhaps in an unrelated place to the passage we're looking at. But God will give the scripture with that word that will help define the word. And that's why we say the Bible defines its own terms. And in Matthew 13, in a parable of the wheat and the tares, uh, God says in verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So we see some of the same language, harvest, reapers, just as in Revelation 14, the time of our harvest has come, and Christ thrust in the sickle to reap. Now the the um, reapers in Matthew 13 are said to be the angels or messengers, and that is actually the elect. It is God's people that are the reapers, but but we're not going to get into that, even though we can prove that from the Bible. And by the way, when we read that Christ, the Son of Man, thrust in the sickle, the word thrust is send. And it's a word that identifies with sending messengers or angels. So really, he's sending in the reapers 
to reap his harvest. Just as Boaz would would have laborers reap the harvest. Boaz, a type of Christ, it, it, he he is a great man, and he he doesn't get out there in the field himself. He has workers for that. Likewise, Christ is reaping through his people. But again, uh, that that's not our focus today. In Matthew 13, verse 39, in the explanation of the parable, it says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels, or messengers. Now there is the key statement, the harvest is the end of the world. Does that agree with what we're reading in Revelation 14? Definitely, definitely. It's the time of the wrath of God. The the cup of his wrath is being poured out. And it is time to reap the harvest. That is, it is the end of the world. And so Matthew thirteen thirty nine is a big help to us whenever we're looking at language related to the harvest. And it it uh, identifies with the, the 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 word world is the word aeon or age. But when we get to the end, it is the end of the world and. And God is speaking of harvest time in association with the end of the world. Now, also in Joel, in the Old Testament book of Joel, in chapter 3, we find similar language to what we're reading in Revelation 14. Let's look at Joel 3, beginning in verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. And the word heathen is a word that means nations. Verse 13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Now where have we heard that before? In Revelation 14. Thrust in the sickle, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. It's very similar language. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And what does that sound like? The wine press of the wrath of God that overflows with blood in Revelation 14. It's the same thing here. The press is full and overflowing. And then in verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of Jehovah is near in the valley of decision. And of course, if we would uh, search out the, the phrase, the day of Jehovah, it would lead us again and again to judgment day. And, and God here in Joel 3 is tying Harvest with Judgment Day, just as Revelation 14 ties harvest with Judgment Day. Uh, let's, let's look at verse 15 in Joel chapter 3. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now here God greatly helps us 
because whenever he mentions these things concerning the sun being darkened and the stars withdrawing their shining or the moon is darkened, what does that tie in with? And, and again, when we compare scripture with scripture, we're directed to Matthew chapter 24, and this language pinpoints the time it locks in exactly when in God's overall timetable this uh, event of Judgment Day is taking place. In Matthew 24, verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Immediately after the tribulation. Therefore, since the language of harvest or the end is found in Joel chapter 3, along with the description of the darkened sun and moon and so forth, we can know that the harvest or end occurs immediately after the Great Tribulation. And we also know, because of of God's graciousness in opening up the biblical calendar of history, we can know that the Great Tribulation lasted for 23 years, from May 21, 1988, through May 21, 2011, and May 21, 2011 was the exact 23rd year and exact 8400th day, and it was the day God ended the Great Tribulation, and therefore it was immediately after that the sun was darkened and the moon did not give its light and the stars fell from heaven spiritually, and, and all of that language relates to the end of God's gospel program. The lights of the gospel went out. Of course, finding or discovering that judgment day or harvest occurs immediately after the tribulation makes sense. It, it makes very good sense because God finished pouring out the latter rain during the second part of the Great Tribulation, and he finished gathering in the precious fruit of the earth, his elect also during that that last part, 6,100 days, in which um, the, the latter rain, the, the pure gospel, was going forth into the nations of the world outside of the churches, and and then after sending the latter rain and saving all those to be saved, which are the fruit, then God brings about the harvest, the end of the world, or he, he begins to reap. We read in James chapter 5, in James 5 and verse 7, God here in just a single verse is giving tremendous amounts of information concerning his overall 
gospel program of salvation, it says in James 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. That is, God was long-sufferingly patient, waiting for the elect to be brought safely into the fold, that is, for them to become saved, and he's waiting in the sense he is not bringing his wrath until he receives these two periods of rain. The early rain identifies with the first fruits in the church age, and the latter rain identifies with the great multitude saved at uh, during the second part of the Great Tribulation. And then it happens that when the latter rain completes and all of the fruit is thereby gathered in, then God brings his wrath. He no longer patiently waits or patiently puts up with the sins of mankind Judgment Day begins. And, and, and we can see how that would come at the end of the rain, the end of the sowing season. And then, uh, according to Mark chapter 4, here's what God says when he has completed his salvation program of saving the last of the elect. He says in Mark 4 verse 28 and 29, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. See, that that's why God immediately darkens the sun, immediately after the tribulation. The... Uh, rain has ended. The gathering of the fruit concerning salvation has concluded. And God doesn't waste time. Immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And what does the Bible tell us about harvest? What's that defining verse? The harvest is the end of the world. It's the end of the age. And and, and so this is exactly what God did on May 21, 2011, that day that the Bible locks in as the end of the Great Tribulation and the beginning of Judgment Day. We could also call May 21, 2011 the beginning of harvest or the beginning of the period to reap. It, it is the time that Revelation chapter 14 is describing when it says that uh, Babylon is fallen, and then it goes on to speak of the harvest. And by the way, that phrase, Babylon is fallen, let me read it again. In Revelation 14 verse 8, it's not here accidentally, it's a, a very well thought out phrase by God as if anything I know could not be well thought out by God he's infinitely brilliant and wise and 
And every word, every jot and tittle of the Bible is well thought out. It, it's incredible how God has written the Bible and is able to write over the course of hundreds of years, uh, moving various men to record the things that he wanted recorded. And, and, and yet it's all cohesive. It all fits so well and perfect, uh, and, and things tie in, uh, so perfectly together, uh, in, in a harmonious way. It, it, it really is incredible and testifies to the nature of the author. We can know because the Bible is, um, so perfectly whole and, and one. In everything it says that it is God that wrote it. But anyway, in Revelation 14, in verse 8, the first part of the verse, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And from there, the if you were to summarize the chapter or lay it out, you would... You would say in the next few verses, God speaks of the cup of his wrath. And then following that, verses 14 through 20, he uh, goes into a detailed description of harvest. It, it would be easy to overlook a verse like Revelation 14, verse 8, and these statements, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It, it, uh, it, it just doesn't seem um, on par with the enormous uh, topic of Judgment Day and the end of the world that that is laid out in the following verses. And yet, why is it here? Why did God make this particular statement? And why does he double it? Fall is fallen, is fallen. And, and place it where he places it in the chapter in which he places it. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Well, we do know historically um, exactly when Babylon fell. It was in the year 539 B.C. 539 B.C. After a 70-year period in which Judah was suppressed uh, by Babylon, actually it wasn't the full 70 years. The first few years, Judah was suppressed by Egypt and about 605 B.C. by Babylon. But but it's all one and the same because it's the 70-year period of Judah's punishment. And, and Babylon pay, played the greatest role in that. And so God says of um, this 70 years, uh, he speaks of it in Jeremiah chapter 25. Let's turn to Jeremiah 25 and I'll read in verse 11 and verse 12. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now remember later in the book of Daniel, Daniel says he understood by books the the number of years that the Lord would accomplish the desolations of, um, uh, let's see how, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem, uh, that's 
uh, stated in Daniel 9, verse 2, and that it would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel understood that by books or by the Word of God, the Bible, and uh, very likely he was reading Jeremiah 25, verse 11, and then verse 12, which says, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith Jehovah, for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans will make it perpetual desolations. God is uh, declaring that first he's going to give up his people, Judah, to the king of Babylon and the Babylonians, and and God even speaks of the king of Babylon as, as his servant, because he's going to use him as a instrument of wrath and cruelty to strike against the rebellious people of Judah, the people called by God's own name. And then following that 70-year period, 609 to 539 B.C., historically, God will turn his attention to Babylon and its king, and he will judge them. And and that is the point of Babylon's fall. Does Babylon fall when it is conquering Judea, when it takes um, the Jews captive? Did Babylon fall when it destroyed Jerusalem? No. No, that was at the height of Babylon's power. That was um, when Babylon was a glorious kingdom, when the king of Babylon was over many nations. And that period of time represents the Great Tribulation period because the Bible speaks of the 23-year Great Tribulation period as a time in which Satan, who is typified by the king of Babylon, is greatly lifted up. His power is increased over the nations and over the churches and congregations he he is um, it's been given to him by God to rule as the man uh, of sin who takes his seat in the temple, showing himself that he is God, and and so the seventy years in which Babylon is uh, victorious relates to the twenty-three year actual great tribulation period, and the end of the seventy years is when Babylon falls. The Medes and the Persians, led by Cyrus, the king, conquers Babylon in one night. It says in Daniel chapter 5, he takes the kingdom. And the the Babylonians were having a party. And it, it was as though they were completely unaware and their kingdom was suddenly taken it's a vivid illustration of Christ coming as a thief in the night. And that is at the end of 70 years, and that would be representative of the end of the Great Tribulation. Therefore, when God makes the statement, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, he is highlighting the end of the Great Tribulation. He is emphasizing the end of the 23-year period, 
which would tie in with the language of immediately after the tribulation, the sun is darkened. It, it, uh, just as harvest in Joel 3, just as God connected putting in the sickle and reaping in harvest with the day of the Lord and in Joel 3.15, he, he mentioned the sun was dark and the moon did not give its light and so forth. And, and by making that connection between harvest and the darkened sun, God was putting his finger on May 21, 2011, immediately after the tribulation, is when harvest, the end of the world, begins. Likewise, when when the Bible says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, it is God also putting his finger on the end of the Great Tribulation period, because that, historically, is when Babylon fell, and spiritually, it is when Satan's kingdom fell, the kingdom of this world, on May 21, 2011. It, it is further confirming that, yes, you're understanding things correctly. You, you're, you're, um, rightly looking at this. The, the language of harvest, harvest ties in with May 21, 2011. The language of Babylon's fall also ties in with that same date. Now, amazingly though, as, as we do look at this statement, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and we, we do what is our duty to do. You know, God tells each one of us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, and we're to study in the Bible, comparing Scripture with Scripture. And as we we take a word God gives us in a verse, and we search the Bible, or we take a, a phrase like, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and we search the Bible to see what we can learn. That That's how our knowledge grows, as, as God uh, gives us a little bit of information over here, and a little bit of information over there. And so let's let's take a look. Let's go to Isaiah 21. Isaiah 21 to and we're looking at the idea of Babylon's fall in order to see what we can learn about it. And in Isaiah 21 it says in um verse 9, and behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he has broken unto the ground. O my threshing and the corn of my floor, that which I have heard of Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, have I declared unto you. Now, why did God just do that? Why did God say Babylon is fallen, is fallen? And then um, right away in the next verse, uh, speak about threshing and the corn of his floor. What does threshing and the corn of his floor have to do with Babylon's fall? And what does that language of threshing and corn lead into? What Or what does that relate to? Well, remember in Matthew 3, 
it says in verse 12, speaking of Christ, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That That's harvest. It's the language of harvest. Threshing and corn of the floor is is what happens in, in relationship to harvest. Well, Babylon is fallen as fallen, is tied to harvest here in Isaiah 21. And, and we, uh, it's a difficult chapter, but we can see that much. And we also know in the place we're looking at, Revelation 14, God speaks of Babylon's fall in the context, a little later, of harvest. So that's two times that God has done that. And we wonder, does he do that anywhere else? Well, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 50. In Jeremiah 50, and Jeremiah 50 as well as 51 are chapters which are describing um, the fall of Babylon, the time of God's judgment upon her. And we read in Jeremiah 50 in verses 15 and 16. Shout against her roundabout. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of Jehovah. Take vengeance upon her as she has done do unto her. Cut off the sower from Babylon and him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest. For fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn everyone to his people. They shall flee everyone to his own land. So again, God speaks of Babylon's foundations are fallen. And then he says, or he mentions the sower is cut off from Babylon. And and he uh, refers to handling the sickle in the time of harvest. Is this a coincidence? Is it um, just random? Well, no. We know God doesn't write the Bible randomly. Uh, you know, we uh, we have that ability as men. Uh, we we can just talk and and we just um, string words together. Uh, we we say one thing one minute. An hour later, we can say something else. And uh, there there's no unity. There's no purpose. But that is not how God spoke in the Bible. The Bible is very uh, purposeful. It, it is very intentional. In everything it says, there is meaning. And, of course, when God begins to take a phrase or an idea, and and that's exactly what he's doing here, he's taking Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and he's, he's tying it together. He's identifying that phrase or that, what that phrase means, which is the end of 70 years or the end of the Great Tribulation, and he's identifying it with harvest, harvest, with threshing and corn of the floor and and uh, putting in the sickle in the time of harvest, just as he's done in Revelation 14. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is basically the opening 
salvo or opening statement in which God then proceeds to lay out judgment day. First, he describes it with the cup of wrath. Then he describes it in the terms of harvest. Well, look at Jeremiah 51. And it says in Jeremiah 51, in verse 2, And will send unto Babylon fanners. Now, now uh, remember the, the word thrust in thy sickle. And Revelation 14 is the word send. And when God speaks of sending, it has to do with his people, his messengers or angels. As Matthew 13, 39 pointed out, the reapers are the messengers. They are the elect people of God that are going about the business. They are occupying with reaping at the time of harvest. And here uh, it says that God will send unto Babylon fanners. And and we saw that um, statement, remember, in Matthew 3 that we just read a little while ago. I'll, I'll quickly uh, read it again. In Matthew 3.12, whose fan is in his hand, and that's referring to Jesus, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. So fanners are involved in the harvest. It will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her and shall empty her land. For in the day of trouble they shall be against her round about. And, and notice uh, in verse 8 of Jeremiah 51, Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. How for her? Take balm for her pain. If so be, she may be healed. And then, down in verse 33 of this same chapter, For thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. And there it is stated um, fairly plainly, Babylon is fallen, the time of harvest. In Isaiah 21, in Jeremiah 50, in Jeremiah 51, in Revelation chapter 14, Babylon is fallen, harvest comes into view. And that, that is not a coincidence that is very intentional, very purposeful. It, it is God signaling to the reader in Revelation 14, look, harvest is the end of the world. It comes immediately after the tribulation, typified by that 70 years, and, and then Babylon fell. And now I'm going to go into some detail, speaking of harvest in relationship to Judgment Day, the end of the world. And and God did, didn't he? In, in verse 14, in his hand, a sharp sickle. Verse 15, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. 
But it's the same thing. It's the same teaching because Babylon represents the kingdom of this world that is ruled over by Satan. And it is the time of the earth's harvest. It is the time of Babylon's harvest. It is the time of the end. And as God is laying out his final harvest, the end of the world, in verses 14 through 20, he mysteriously provides the number of 1,600 furlongs. As the blood overflows out of the wine vat, the wine press, and flows forth for the space of 1,600 furlongs. Oh, it's just a number. It's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. It it may mean something, but it it has nothing to do with time. Really? All right, if that's so, why does that number, when formed with 8,400 days of the Great Tribulation, form the complete number of 10,000 days? And if 1,600 furlongs it is not to be considered uh, in in regards to time or days, then why is it that when God is is with no doubt about it, no question at all, establishing that that judgment day begins immediately after the tribulation and judgment day is a time of harvest and and God has established elsewhere, that May 21, 2011 is the beginning of Judgment Day and therefore the beginning of harvest. And and so that sets the beginning point of May 21, 2011 of harvest. And then God provides the number. It, 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 you know, I didn't pull it out of a hat. Uh, no man developed this number and has come up with this. But God gave the number. God wrote the verse providing the number 1600. That when that number is placed side by side with the beginning of Judgment Day on May 21, 2011, what happens? Well, we go four years, four months, and 16 days into the future. And 16 is 4 times 4, so we see the number 4 is is really emphasized as 4 points to the furthest extent or universality. And in this case, it would be the furthest extent of judgment that's in view. And what date do we come to? October 7th, 2015. Now, before, before I mention that, I, I think it's important to note that the 1600-day period, in all likelihood, is God establishing a season or time for reaping. It is the time in which the people of God, His elect, the messengers or angels, are to be busy and and involved with the reaping process. We read um, that there is a time to reap in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In Ecclesiastes 3, I'll read the first couple of verses. 
It says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Now, we could understand that, that there's a time to be born again. And and that would be during the day of salvation. And a time to die. Or a time to experience the judgment of God as as we are now presently involved in that time, the day of wrath in which God has spiritually already killed all the unsaved inhabitants of the earth. Actually, many of these statements, if not all of them, in Ecclesiastes 3, relates either to the day of salvation or the day of judgment. And then it says in verse 2, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. The time to plant is the time to sow the seed of the gospel, which again was done as the Lord evangelized the earth in the day of salvation. But then comes the time to pluck up that which is planted. Now, just as the first reference to time to plant involved an actual season, in in, in other words, a period of days, of 24 hour, uh, days and, 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 and many of them in the, in the time to plant, God gave much time in which for people to become saved. Well, likewise, with the reference to a time to pluck up and to pluck up is to reap. It, it's to gather together or gather in that, that also is a specific period of time. And that is Judgment Day, a prolonged period of judgment, a prolonged period of reaping the harvest, of bringing it in. We we read in Galatians, in chapter 6, it says in verse 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, and that can also be, um, translate as time, in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity, and that's the same word that, that's translated as season in the previous verse, as we have therefore season, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In due season we shall reap. God is saying there is a season to reap. And, and this is that time. That's why he, um, pointed out we must prophesy again. That's why he has encouraged us to feed the sheep and to publish the news of Babylon's fall. What is the news of Babylon's fall? Harvest has come. It's the end of the age. It's the end of the world. It's the time to gather in the fruit and uh, to approach unto God in the harvest. The, the final harvest that the Bible speaks of and God speaks of the Feast of Harvest in conjunction with the Feast of Tabernacles. And we um, often focus on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and and that's 
a correct thing to do, and uh, Lord willing, we'll discuss that in another study and and lay that out. But the Feast of Tabernacles is tied to the Feast of Harvest. They're held simultaneously. Leviticus 23:34 speaks of the Feast of Tabernacles occurring on the 15th day of the seventh month. And then, in verse 39 of Leviticus 23, it says also, in the 15th day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto Jehovah seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. It is the identical time period to the Feast of Tabernacles. The the 15th day begins it. The, the duration of the feast is the same. It speaks of an eighth day. And that means the last day would also be identical. And, and so, October 7th, 2015 is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's also the last day of harvest. In Exodus 23, it says in verse 16, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. The feast of ingathering is harvest. Harvest is the end of the world. Now, now let's again consider in Revelation 14, that God speaks of Babylon's fall, and and he ties that to harvest in several places. God then speaks of um, a detailed harvest. He, he goes in depth describing it, and it, it all leads, verses 14 through 20, to the last verse of Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. And in that verse, God gives a number. 1600. It's not 1200 or 14 or 18. It's not any other number. And, and the, uh, the possibilities of other numbers are limitless. But one number God gives, which is 1600. And when we go 1600 days from the end of the Great Tribulation and the beginning of harvest, when immediately the sickle was put in to begin reaping, we come to October 7th, 2015, the last day of harvest this year. And, well, isn't that astounding? Isn't it really amazing that the one number that God provides us happens to take us to the last day of harvest in the very context of Judgment Day, the harvest at the end of the world. And we come to the day that uh, is the 10,000th day. It's the 1600th or the 40 times 40th day. And it's the last day of harvest. And, and that's... Um, why there's, there's such strong evidence 
that that day will be, in all likelihood, the end of the world. And now there's even more evidence, because not only is it the last day of harvest, but it's also the last day of tabernacles. And Lord willing, in our next study, we'll look a little bit closer at the Feast of Tabernacles, and especially that last day. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.